This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves to welcome Doc back to the country. Yes, you put up with me last week all by myself. I'm Scott Phillips, as regular listeners will know. But Dr. Nirban Mahanti is really the star of this show. And thank goodness for you, and thank goodness for me, we've got him back on deck down this side of the globe. Welcome back, Doc. Uh, thanks, Captain. I, I feel for you know our members you know, or our listeners, as I should say. You know, they had to only deal with you. <laughs> you, could, you could have been a little more complimentary. Thanks very much. <laughs> no, man. what I mean is uh, <laughs> now now they've got two doses of suffering to do. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I reckon they'll be pretty happy with that. Just quietly, mate. Uh, now you came back from an investing conference in Canada. Which is yeah. kind of cool. So, can you give us a couple of seconds on, yeah. on what happened there? So, it, it is less an investing conference and more of a you know tech get together. Right. Sorry, it's okay. a, it's, um, it's where uh, the best way to put it is is basically it's where startups basically you know it's a matchmaking ground for startups and venture capital. So you know the thousands of venture capitals were there. Nice big venture capital funds, lots of small startups in alpha beta stage. Um, and then, of course, a lot of presentations around things, a lot of interesting things. Um, what was the one big takeaway, mate? One, one kind of big theme, either surprise or a main theme, or a, if someone said, what was the one thing you took away? What would you say? Um, so, you know, like we all know, software is everywhere. So software yes. is eating the world. Maybe we, we, yeah, we, but we can probably say slowly but steadily, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning are eating the world in oh. in the sense that everything that people were doing there has some form or the other of AI. That's um, wow, that's okay. number one. Number two, I think, uh, is um, and this is again probably not a you know a trend that people don't know about, but it, it just reinforces that the number of times number of ideas out there mm. that are about removing friction. So you take any old school industry, any anything that we currently do that has got friction, and people are basically trying to use technology to remove that friction, just make life a little bit better. That's kind of cool. This is going way off the track already. The, the, we, luckily for for us, our listeners are used to us going off on tangents, so I'm not even going to start with the intro yep. just <laughs> yet. Uh, we are recording now. So, um, so here's, the, here's what I find fascinating. You and I uh, have started using at work a, a, a video conferencing software called Zoom, mm-hmm. Z-O-O-M. Yes. Which ostensibly does the same thing as every other piece of video conferencing software for the last 20 years. And so from the outside observer, including me, by the way, who's less captured by or enamored by it than most, almost everybody else, it's kind of like, okay, does video conferencing, you call someone up, it's all fine, it's all fine. You and most of the rest of the team have been absolutely raving about this thing and kind of largely because of exactly that, right? And so you think about the value creation. So we used to use Skype. We still do some of the time for voice chats in particular. And Skype does a a, a very good job of text chat. It does a very good job, generally speaking, of video chat. Um, so, okay, that's fine. It's good. Zoom does almost exactly the same thing. But the kind of consumer angle, the, the fact that as a, as a user of the software, it is just a, a much more superior experience, even though it's effectively doing almost exactly the same thing, has just revolutionized, frankly, the world because everyone's using it these days. But to drag us away from Skype to Zoom, when really there was no reason to do so, just that removal of friction was kind of the answer. Yeah, I mean, basically, I call it Zoom is basically doing FaceTime, but for enterprises, right? right. So, which basically means it's awesome, <laughs> just like FaceTime is awesome. So, uh, if you're on an iPhone, you should, always, Apple, you, way, should, yes. you, yeah. should, you should always use FaceTime. Not Zoom? Um, well, you know, if you, I mean, if you're, in, if you're <laughs> Zoom is great for business. Right. But here's the interesting thing, you know, I, you could actually now replace all your desk phones with Zoom. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is, and the fool is doing that. I oh, don't know wow. if you saw, I saw this announcement. That was like a light bulb moment for me saying, okay, now we are, we are throwing away our phones and we're basically yeah, asking yeah, yeah. people, do you want to actually have a handset? If you don't want to have a handset, you can actually have a number from Zoom. Wow. That's quite cool. So that's quite cool. So I, Which again, know, this is the thing, you could always, you could already have done it with Skype, but the, the difference here, and this is just about friction, and it's why yeah. it's, it just grabbed me as, we, as you mentioned it, is you don't even have to necessarily invent a better mousetrap in terms of it doesn't have to be functionally all that much better, but if you can remove friction, just simply make it such a no-brainer to use, yeah. that can actually be enough in this world. And, and and to make a really, really, really big difference, as you say, we had – so we use Skype locally in the States because there's a big office there. They used they used a thing from Cisco, which was this big kind of yeah. internet telephony yeah, kind so of Yeah, so WebEx, thing. I think. Right. And yeah. so you kind of go, well, that, that was great. And it was doing everything it needed to do. And for for almost for, – for little tangible benefit, we're throwing away the entire system we used in the U.S., um, most businesses, as you say, around the, around the world, not most maybe, but a lot of them are moving to this thing called Zoom for kind of not a lot of tangible, obvious, mm. real benefit, but from a from a simply a removing friction, it just it just works. Mm. It's great. It's easy. It's simple. 
kind of why not use it, that's been enough to really see Zoom take off. And it just, again, I'm not sure exactly what my point is other than to reinforce your point about that whole removal of friction is just such a huge, huge deal. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's the fact that you can launch it with just one command from Slack, right, which is, again, right. another one of those, uh, you know, Slack is a private company, Zoom is actually listed, and I do not own shares in Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. Uh, you know, it's always looked expensive to me. Uh, but, you, but, you know, the fact that you can launch it from Slack with yeah. just one, yeah, right, one right. just by saying slash Zoom, yeah. it, it's that, that thing. Integration, I think, right. Yeah, in, integration, the ease of use, I think that's, yeah. So that's, a, that's a, actually, I mean, you know, I just saw that in spades in every startup that's trying to do. So, you know, the world is going to be a better place um, yeah. because of this. Not, very, very cool. Not 1,000 of them are going to survive. Yeah. But those that survive. <laughs> that's the other thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the other thing. Uh, but those that do are going to do well. Now, if you're a member of Extreme Opportunities and Pro, you should be thanking Doc because not only did he go to this conference, but he did so on his own coin. The fool didn't pay for that. He Doc didn't. really wanted to go and, and do it himself. And and our members are going to benefit from it. Hopefully, you'll benefit personally from it as well, Doc, of course. But, uh, mate, awesome. And thank you for that update. That was That's, that's a really cool idea. Uh, lots more tech chat to come because it's a, it's a, a topic that is, you know, uh, we, we've talked about as a team. To some degree, tech is, is – there are tech companies and there are companies using tech. And there's really nobody else. You know, every every business these days of any meaningful size has to have such a great tech capability that even if you're not investing in tech in and of itself, you're not buying a software company per se, almost every company you can possibly invest in or consider investing in, or frankly, if you're invested in another company, someone else is competing with them. So kind of knowing the, the, the kind of, um, what's the, the, the kind of uh, trajectory of tech is super, yeah. super important. Yeah, every company is a data company. Every company is a tech company, and you right? You kind of have to be. That, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, it was funny. The old days, so we used to give Domino's, oh, this is massive tangent. We might have to uh, do a hold in the podcast. Uh, we gave, uh, we, some people gave Domino's grief about trying to describe itself as a tech company, right? This is a takeaway pizza mob hmm. who was trying to describe itself as a tech company. And and at some point, yes, that's probably a bit over the top. Um, at some point, they'll probably try a little bit too hard to try and, you know, get a higher PE by describing themselves as such. But what about the robot delivery? They were doing, the, they weren't, <laughs> weren't, right. weren't they were trialing? They actually did and, trial it. Yeah, they did. They did. The pizza delivery drones using and, drones. Yeah, in New so, Zealand. Uh, in New Zealand. There we go. But, but again, I think, so, so yeah, we made fun of them for that. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, as exactly at the forefront of making fun of them. Um, but, but you know, a lot of people were. Hmm. To some degree, though, if you think about what's going to make them successful or not, is going to be things like removing friction of ordering, which is obviously an app or a website or a phone. It's having the pizza done quickly. It's getting delivered more quickly. It's GPS tracking. The things that actually kind of, you know, at, at some point, Domino's, yes, it's a, a pizza company, but everything else that goes around that, it's different from, you know, calling up the local pizza mob, asking for a Hawaiian and a, and a Supreme and getting a you know sixteen year old kid to to come and or seven year old kid with his peas come and deliver it to the house that that's that's kind of you know Domino's is is to some degree even in the very simple business of pizza delivery really integrating tech in a, in a big big way in a way that you just need to be across. I was going to say something, but it'll be another massive tangent. So I'm going to just keep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let's get on. With we will it. try and keep this podcast to under <laughs> under four hours. Yeah. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. <laughs> after, after that massive tangent, let's get back to business. Uh, oh, it's kind of from the sublime to the ridiculous, right? Or at least from the really cool and impressive to the slightly disappointing. We're going to talk about oh, the ongoing confession season. We talked yeah. about confession season a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, another couple of companies that have to deliver some bad news to shareholders. We'll get into that in a second. We're going to talk about business investment and the broader economic themes mm. we talk about the economy as a context in, in the context of investing regularly and unfortunately recently we've seen some some more softness in business investment mm. we will talk about james packer mr packer selling almost 20 percent of his stake in crown through his company consolidated press holdings I'm gonna. I, I I thought I should do a money, money, money dance here. Oh, there you go. You can, oh, well, this is this isn't a video <laughs> podcast. Thankfully, thankfully for our members. So, so maybe you listeners. know, maybe we should just move on. And and if we have time, we'll do some mailbag. And I just might, if I'm so inclined. Although that tangent was pretty long, I might yet get on my high horse and give us a bit of a rant. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. My confession season is back, or maybe has never gone away. <laughs> Still, it just, just doesn't seem to go away. Well, is my experience, you know. <laughs> so, I want to talk about a company you raised with us as a as a team this week, and it's a business that I've looked at to invest in. As soon as that you looked at to invest oh, in, yeah. it's a business called Apollo Tourism and Leisure. Now, they manufacture, sell, and rent out motorhomes, uh, recreational vehicles, the sort of things that grey nomads have been taking around the country on their big laps now for years. Yep. That market seems to be only growing. The caravan and camping super show that was in Rose Hill in Sydney 
maybe a month or so ago was just phenomenally large. There are uh, campervan and, and caravan companies spruiking up all over the place. This is a boom, boom industry, at least. Yeah. It looks like it from the outside. Apollo downgraded earnings 27 days ago, 27 days before this latest downgrade, and did it again yeah. this week. When you have to downgrade your earnings twice in a month, something is going very, very wrong at Apollo. Mate, this... To me, I, I I don't know how you couldn't make money if you're a decent brand and a decent company in this particular investment space, in this particular category right now. There are so many people going around the country doing their doing their off-road holidays or doing their on-road holidays around caravan parks and, and campgrounds around Australia. What is going on at Apollo? Yeah, so, so here's the thing, right? This is not just an Australian company. This is, a, it is in Australia. This is in New Zealand. This is in oh, America. True, true. It's yep. in Canada. And, and you know, and who has you know, we know that retired people or people who have retired have money, right? That's and, why you retire. And, and, and there's more people retiring. There's more boomers than ever. Right. They've got more money so, than ever. What is going on? So, uh, I don't know. Like, this is you know, part, okay. So it's still profitable, right? So let's take that as, as number one. So number one is profitable, and it's, it's down. It's a couple of things to me. Um, one thing is, of course, there might be some seasonal softness, or maybe some softness, or maybe economic background is playing a role in people. That's the bit that worries me. That's I have the to that's say. the bit that worries you, right? And then worries me too is the economic bit, and you know that people see, oh, maybe house prices are down, you know, consumer sentiment is down. So you, even the people who actually have a lot of money banked, yeah. <laughs> um, are probably you know thinking before spending, right? And, and and that is a problem because it can spiral very quickly. Right, that is uh, so. Moving away from Apollo for a second, that is really ugly because we know that economies rise and fall. As much as we pretend it's all about the numbers, it's really not. It's all about the confidence. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are the result, but not the inputs, right? And so, if you and I start to worry about our jobs, we start to worry about the next pay rise, we start to worry about our spouse's jobs or our income or our term deposit interest rates or whatever it is, we start to think, gee, we better just keep those wallets and purses closed a little bit. That is the very thing that creates the preconditions for the next downturn. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for the benefit of the economy, I should get a pay rise. <laughs> um, so, so moving on from there. Um, so, so, so that, neither, I, neither you nor I are paid enough to actually move, move the economy in any meaningful well, way, shape, or form. I'm happy to take more <laughs> <laughs> to, to move the economy. I will do my bit to move the economy. I want a pay rise equivalent oh, half I have said of this GDP. On a public forum. <laughs> Please give me money. And if, um, and if we don't, if the economy goes in recession, it's our fault. It's exactly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so, 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 yeah. Um, so, I think that is that. The, I think the other thing is that they don't have a global CFO. Right. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I looked at this company actually two years ago or yeah. maybe one and a half years ago when it was a dollar fifty price or maybe Oof. not, a dollar, a dollar maybe now. Shares are now. And it went to dollar fifty. It's now like at 40 cents or something. Ooh. It's like been a very bad ride. Nice avoid, mate. Well done. <laughs> well, but there's a story behind it which I will not go into <laughs> because it might become politically incorrect. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's a story. Tell, tell me after the podcast. I, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will not uh, go into that one. Okay. But but but, but I think a couple of things here. It's a, I think they don't have a global CFO, so they're looking to hire a global CFO, which yeah. means they have a bit of a problem maybe in forecasting, right? So maybe they might have forecasted something. Uh, so there are a couple okay. of things could be that things have gotten really bad in yep. the intervening like three weeks yep. uh, or they just had a bad forecast right and uh, i think this is where i also bang on this you know this continuous disclosure thing i mean this is one of those things you know i disclose this and now i think i can't make it so i need to disclose this again <laughs> yeah. and it's it's a it's that's number two number three i'll say is this many a company mm. are too small to be actually listed and go through all this drama of you know releasing earnings guidance. I mean, you maybe better don't release a guidance. Yeah, oh, I can. I can. Mate, I am all right. over that. I completely uh, so, agree. So just don't do that. And, just and, shut up. Yeah, just just to, you know why do you have to forecast, right? Oh, I mean, it drives me don't, nuts. don't forecast stuff. Yep. Um, and and if you maybe, can't control it. Don't forecast yeah, it. And maybe you maybe you're just too small and not equipped to uh, to run a public company. Yeah. Um, which needs to continuously give disclosure and so on. So maybe those, those sort of things. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't like the looks of this. There have been a few others which, you know, so this is more into the, um, in some sense, discretionary spend side, right, yeah. of consumers. That's the word. Uh, there's also been business-related, uh, IT-related spending, which has been downgraded by some of the other companies. So this was, uh, you know, before a couple of weeks back. Yep. Um, so when you look at the, you know, the IT spending being down and the consumer spending being down, it, it, it is a bit of a worry. So that, that's all I've got to say with, with this company. I think, you know. 
Uh, I, I, we'll yeah, get back to confession season, but I, we, we did talk a little bit about that. And I mentioned software, uh, sorry, softness in business investments recently. So tell us a little bit more about that. What's what, what are you seeing? What's going on? The AFI had an article out um, yesterday, the day before. Yes, talking about some softness in business investment. If you if you're of a mind to be pessimistic, there is plenty of data, plenty of headlines around. This latest one, um, business in <laughs> this is the headline: business investment worse than expected, but forecasts up. Um, it's it's kind of a tough, you know, it's a tough situation. So the figures published by the ABS showed the business expects to invest $99 billion in the next year above expectations. However, actual investment was down 1.7% in the March quarter, yeah. worse than the consensus forecast. Uh, I mean, I, I like the fact that businesses themselves are feeling optimistic. That's often a good sign because, again, if they get pessimistic, they don't hire, they don't invest. That, yeah. again, are the preconditions for a downturn. So I guess I'm... I'm an optimist, so I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So I'm happy to say, well, hey, the forecasts are up. Let's not worry too much. But is that? Am I burying my head in the sand? Am I? Am I too optimistic here? So uh, you know, uh, again, I'm not a big economics type of guy, but I, I'll, I'll say this: like, if, for example, like, you know, if you take a little bit of, if there is less spend in, say, household, you know, in a housing construction, for example, mm. that's enough to actually move that number down. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you're off by 0.5% or something like that. Then, you know, if you have less construction coming up, that will probably do the trick. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we have seen some, as I said, some downgrades from IT services company, which seems to suggest that, you know, well, well what they're basically saying is that all oh, some of the spending has been moved from this, you know, half to the next half and things like that. That is like deferral. Now, that could be a deferral because something took longer than needed on execution, or it could just be that you're feeling a little, you know, gun shy to mm. do the necessary spend. Right. Um, just in case. Just in case, yeah. right? So it, it it is all those things, and maybe you know, it's uh, maybe I'm fishing and looking for those. You know, I'm looking for what I think is happening. Uh, <laughs> we right? all have confirmation no, bias, right? mate. You're not so, alone there. Yeah. So it could be just that. You know, maybe I think that you know there's a little bit of a consumer confidence issue. There's a business confidence issue, and therefore I'm looking and and finding those. Mm. Uh, but you know, there've been plenty. Like you know, retail uh, reject shop. I had oh, a downgrade. Um, you know, they had a CEO leave. Um, you know, there was a company called Citadel, which had a pretty ugly, uh, uh, you know, downgrade, um, which didn't look good. There was, a, you know, uh, Arc, which is a recommendation in um, Arc Group, which used to be called Melbourne IT. You know, ARQ. ARQ is the code and the name of the company, which is <laughs> which Arc with a Q. Arc with a Q. Um, you know, their guidance too. I mean, it's not really a downgrade, but it's really because they've sold and bought and done so many things. It's mm. actually hard to peel out really whether it's a downgrade or not right so um, all of those things point to some lack of spending some lack of confidence stay tuned we're not over just yet modly full money now here's one i've got to take a wrap for unfortunately not in a good way we both avoided apollo that was pretty good Mm -hmm. you avoided costa group I, however, did not and recommended it to members of Motley Fool Share Advisor and it is the last in our unfortunately longish list of confession uh, season downgrades this week. Costa Group is the company that you will have seen on some fruit boxes occasionally. There's a plenty of brands that the company operates under. They are one of the largest, if not the largest, fruit packer in the country. Everything from blueberries and raspberries and tomatoes and pretty much any... any avocado? Almost, almost, of course, the smashed avos. <laughs> um, maybe they could bring them pre-smashed. <laughs> There's my idea. Maybe that, maybe I'll that's give them a call. Yeah, give them a call. A new packaged fruit opportunity, pre-smashed avocados. Yeah, smashed avocado sandwiches, which you can just put in your you know, <laughs> oven and it'll roast itself. Mate, not the sandwiches, toast. Could it be toast? Smashed avocado toast. So all the cool kids are doing it these days. Mate, it was, so that was one I'd recommended to our members. I, I did expect, and I, th- I still think it's probable, but maybe not as certain as I was two weeks ago, um, that, that Costa has a pretty bright future. It is it is uh, packing fruit right around Australia, also into China and the Middle East in particular, um, parts other parts of Europe. So one of the bigger uh, and more important, more successful fruit packers, but it can't beat Mother Nature. And it seems like Mother Nature was kind of conspiring against the company in the last couple of months. <laughs> yep. So it looks like uh, they had crumbly fruit. Crumbly <laughs> they had fruit. female not- fruit fruit fly. Now you know is this this is probably you know this is not good to the gender of uh, of, of, of flying flies. Right, you know right, why not right. male? Why not female? I have no even idea. Even mushrooms. Why. And mushrooms, you know, mushrooms in cloudy mushrooms. You know, mushrooms are constant. <laughs> so, um, you know, here's my thing with this. If all of this is because of Mother Nature, yep. then you know, today's price should actually be a good price because you are getting a one-off sort of hit. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. You're getting a one-off hit caused by Mother Nature, which, you know, I mean… Am I right to think that or am I, am I deluding myself, mate? Um, well, you know… 
okay here's the thing smashed avocado is so popular i <laughs> i just don't think anyone <laughs> no okay so yeah, I'll, I'll i'll rephrase there's one thing though with with um selling packaged fruits right or fruits and veggies and things like that i mean it's mm-hmm. ultimately a commodity that they are selling yes. right so yes. you know as the demand for avocado goes up or smashed avocado goes up more people <laughs> produce avocado and, and therefore you know sure. you know there's a little bit of price compression yep. uh, that happens so i mean i don't know how much the margins can be of this business but i would think that if 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 it was a buy mm. then and if it is a buy it then you know if there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the business i mean there, there's always this issue of paying too much for a business like this so that, yeah, that could yeah. be an issue but uh, fundamentally i think you know demand for the food of that type keeps growing people need more fruits people mm. need more of these you know avocado is good for your health um so great on toast you know, and it's great on toast, you know. <laughs> like we have an avocado actually every morning hi, hi. In, our, in our household. Good man. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Have uh, two, mate. Have one, one for you, one for Costa. <laughs> uh, we, uh, one is, a, they're expensive, okay? <laughs> Are you going to help Costa out here? This is, this is a dire g- g- give me the Give me the raise and I'll, 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 I'll increase go. it to here two. So, I, I don't know. I, I think... I think some of that might have been overnight. Again, I don't follow this company as yeah, closely sure. as you do, sure. um, but yeah. So, so fascinating, right? And this is this is kind of, and as you say, mate. If if we've made so, if there's a genuine mistake around just simply paying too much for unsustainable margins, that's a problem, out right? Yeah. If we've paid too much, which is also possible because we paid a multiple of cyclically high earnings, i.e., mm. when there was no agricultural risk or, or mother nature impacted results, you know, the, mm. the reality is going to be we, we always have expected and, and continue to expect that mother nature will sometimes kick us in the backside because mm. that's just what happens, right? Yep. So, in three different types of crops here, all in the same literally few months. Um, so crumbly fruit is a, is a I think it's a fungal condition, certainly not literally the fruit just happens to be crumbly, um, but it's a, a particular condition that's affecting some of the fruit. I think it's raspberries from memory. Raspberries, can't remember. They had some issues um, with tomatoes as well. Yeah, tomatoes? And, then, and the female fruit fly problem then is the fact that there are quarantine areas, this was in the Riverina area, where once they, once they, once they, um, so they have, they have, they're obliged to have traps out and if, if a female fruit fly is found in a particular area, they basically lock it down. Okay. They say, right, we can't afford this to spread to other areas. And so what's happened, they've locked in a 15-square-kilometer area, apparently, um, where you're not allowed to send fruit out of because it may well spread that fly. Okay. And so in this circumstance, uh, they've basically been required. And this is this is kind of, again, you're, kind of, you're glad this is true because some other times it'll be someone else's fruit and not Costa's and you want right. them to be protected and the right. whole you know, biosecurity is super important. So... And in the mushroom, as you say, a longer mushroom growing season of all things uh, is depressing prices. And so you kind of throw that together and think, wow, geez, you know, like on one hand, this is what happens in agriculture. We're not surprised by it. The fact you have three in one period is kind of just really sucky, mm. uh, to use the technical term. Uh, but the question really is, you know, is does it continue or or is this kind of the end of the end of the story? We're hopeful hopeful that uh, things might get back on track. And as you say, mate, this might well be a good price to buy Costa stock. Of course, it may well be that we paid a price of, uh, there was a multiple of of earnings that are when everything goes right, type earnings, and in a cyclical business, that's a that can be problematic. So, time will it's still a buy for us to, for full disclosure. And I think I think the former is right. I think we will see it bounce back if the profits bounce back. <coughs> Excuse me, but we're very aware that this might be a it may it may have been a, a problem. At the at the purchase, and that may still uh, cost us some returns. I do think, though, at, at the current price, you're not paying that that premium, and so the current price for me is still a buy. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Mate, James Packer is back in the news. The poor bloke can't get out of the news. He's had a string of issues. He's had some uh, a marriage or an engagement breakdown with Mariah Carey. I can't help but think he may have uh, dodged a bullet there. Uh, bit, of a, <laughs> bit of editorialising there for you. Apologies <laughs> to Mariah Carey fans. I'm sure she's wonderful. Um, we've also, he's had his own struggles with mental health issues, which aren't funny. Um, and we do hope that that recovery continues. As a result, though, mate, he stepped off the board of Crown a little while ago. Mm. It, it was in the news that Wynn Resorts, one of the big US casino operators, was looking to buy Crown outright. Mm-hmm. They withdrew that bid when it was reported to the media or to the ASX in particular. Now we see overnight, we're recording this on Friday morning, as we tend to do, James Packer has sold 19.99% of Crown to its previous joint venture partner in Macau, Mm -hmm. Melco Entertainment. 1.8% 
$1.8 billion between friends. Wow. Not bad, is it? Mate, tell us why. Firstly, start off with why did he sell 19.99% of Crown and not more? Because he still retains a whole heap. He sold about half of his shareholding. Why 19.99%? So so I think, you know, if you're under 20, then the um, the automatic takeover provisions don't kick in. Right. So so I think 19.99 just gives you, keeps you below that number without requiring Melco to actually make a formal offer for takeover. So, you know, maybe Melco is going to buy them at some point, but maybe not. now is not the time that they want to buy them. Maybe Packer doesn't want to sell the remainder of his shares. Uh, Packer just needed some small change. Um, <laughs> bit of walking around, uh, buddy. Uh, you know, be a bit of money in his back pocket, so he decided to sell some. Um, That'll pay some bills. Yeah, I don't know what you have with beautiful people like, you know, um, Carrie and stuff like that, you know. I'm sure she's. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> anyway, that's a side topic. All, all, all I'm oh. saying is, when they call her a diva, I'm not entirely surprised they give her that. If you've ever seen, the, I, I'm not. I'm not a big consumer of women's gossip magazines. I shouldn't say women's gossip magazines. Although they tend to be rather yeah. rather Women's Day, Women's Weekly. We'll, we'll assume they're women's magazines. But I'm not generally a big big purveyor of, of gossip mags. Mm. But from all reports, she's a little bit of hard work. Okay. Can I okay. say that? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> she is undoubtedly beautiful. I'll give her that. And she's a wonderful singer. <laughs> I'm just not entirely sure that uh, James Packer isn't yeah. anyone. Uh, let, let's let's, <laughs> let's stick to the let's stick to the yeah. task at hand, mate. Here's my question for you. Yes. What? Did, so so let's say let's say you're, you're James Packer. Yeah. You've got a three point six ish. Let's just round round numbers. Investment in Crown. Yeah. You sell half of it. So there's one point eight billion dollars in the back pocket. What do you do with that check? I mean, <laughs> if you, if you win a million bucks, you put it in the bank and you buy some shares. If you're Packer, you've already got shares. You've got more money than God. What do you do with $1.8 billion when they send you the check? Well, well first of all, it's not $1.8 billion, right? He, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hoping he's going to pay some to the ATO. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> so, so, Scott Morrison will be saying thank yeah, you. Yeah, so the government is going to build you know, me some hospitals <laughs> and roads and uh, you know, maybe send me a check or two or something like that. Good um, luck. Uh, so, the, crown, the crown's because they're a dividend. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. So, I mean, he's probably going to land up with what? Like one point. Two, maybe one, one point one. Uh, no, no, a bit more. That one point three or four, probably oh, close. Okay. You'll pay, pay about. Let's assume that his cost base is close enough to zero. You've uh, probably got plenty of tax write-offs to, to deal with. But let's let's assume he's paying full freight on that one. Uh, let's assume he's in the top tax bracket. So let's. I mean, yeah, just among friends, let's say it's twenty five percent tax. One point eight million dollars. Call that what. Four hundred and fifty odd million. Let's call it one point three among friends. Okay, so one point three. Uh, well, you know, he could buy an Airbus A three eighty before they stop uh, manufacturing that, or maybe he can buy two. He can call it, you know, the Packer one and Packer two, like one, Air one Force for one. Oh, I see. Air Force one and Air Force two. Right? You know, one, you know, uh, one for spares. Maybe that you might need uh, in case you know. the kids need to go somewhere. Yeah. So well, if you buy two of them, that will probably put you back like four hundred million right there. You want to get a discount on two, wouldn't you? Not on two. You have to buy like <laughs> you probably have to buy twenty <laughs> to get a discount. All right. So, so he's, he's, he's started with one point three. He spent four hundred million dollars on a couple of yeah. Airbuses. Yeah, and, and then, <laughs> then you then you probably buy an island. Okay. Like I would totally buy an island. Like what's, there, an, what's an island you back these days? I haven't been in the market for an island recently. I, I don't know. Maybe like you know three four hundred million for an island. Really. Well, you, you get a Greek island, man. It's going to be good weather, good water, you know, good everything. It's an expensive island. Yeah, so that's you. Know. I wonder how much the Oatley's paid for Hamilton Island. I should check that out. Oh, so he already owns an island. No, the, the, the Oatley family bought <laughs> Hamilton Island, so I'm, I'm just wondering how much they paid for it. So, okay, let's assume they do, he does all that. He's still got about, let's call it $700 million among friends. I still don't know what you do with that money. Well, like, what you, do you, well once you own an island and own a plane, <laughs> you know, you need probably that much money just for maintenance. <laughs> fuel money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, you know, you'd be burning a lot of fuel, right? Uh, you, you know, oh, uh, right. turbine fuel, I heard, costs a lot of money. <laughs> it, we, we can ask uh, 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 Joycey yes, uh, about the cost of turbine fuel. <laughs> so, oh, man. I don't know. I mean, I can point a billion dollars. I just, yeah, I, yeah. Anyways, if you know, if Packer's listening and he has a hard time, you know, <laughs> he has a hard time spending it. He can give it to me, and I can spend it. So, um, and I'm sure Scott Morrison would be very happy to spend it too. So, uh, J- James, if you're listening, if you're looking for investment advice, we're happy to provide personal investment advice, courtesy of the Motley Fool, for a, for a small premium. We'll, we'll only, we reckon, half one percent of his, uh, well, just a pretty low fee. One percent? No, no, a little bit more. Qu- for high quality advice, come on, mate. $1.8 billion, dollars. I'm not going to quibble on, on on price. I, I, I want the business more than the price. Just quite, <laughs> quietly. I'll take a quarter of a percent on one point eight billion dollars. I'll do very nicely. All right, let's move on. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. 
Mate, we got some mail during the week, and we love our mailbag, as we say to you regularly. It's our favorite part of the podcast because we get to hear from you and talk to the questions and comments you've got. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got a question from Paul Ness on Twitter during the week who asked about Costa, and we've covered that in a little bit of detail, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think Paul's just trying to get have a go at me. Uh, He also asked about Treasury Wines. Now, Treasury's had some issues of recent, Doc. We saw some concerns about an inventory glut in China a few months ago. Mm. And more recently, there's a decently kind of shopped around short thesis. And if you don't know about what I think about shorters, I hate shorters with a passion. What is the short thesis? That aside, uh, that they are channel stuffing. So they put they sold a whole lot of stock into distributors and okay. retailers in China uh, that hasn't yet sold through. And so they got their numbers in the last couple of last couple of years by basically convincing someone to buy more stock. Right. Um, they bought all that. So the retailer buys all the stock. The treasury sales look great. All of a sudden, the retailers got so much stock, they don't need to buy any more. And mm-hmm. so, after the end of the period, they said, well, I've just bought a year's worth of stock because you guys gave me a good discount to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy any more from you. And so, the subsequent year, you find that sales really struggle to, to pick up because simply, they haven't sold that stock through to customers yet. And so, you've got this kind of the bottleneck, if you like, in the supply mm-hmm. chain. That, that's okay. the short thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything to add on Treasury outside that? Or do you have a view on Treasury? Um, I, well, like, you know... In general, I think so. I think you know wines in China and you know things like Penfolds and so on, which uh, Treasury owns. I mean, they sh- I would think over the long term they should do well, yeah. right? China, China, I think, is currently in a little bit of a flux in because partly because of the trade war. Uh, I think the I think they too are experiencing a little bit of a consumer sentiment mm-hmm. um, uh, backdrop. They're under this you know negative con- consumer sentiment backdrop. Right. Uh, so that and the Chinese government has has addressed this by cutting VAT, which is value added tax, a couple of times already. Um, now I don't know whether you know consumer sentiment results in people not drinking wine. I mean, if they were drinking that wine once a week, they probably mm. would drink it once a week. Would be my guess. Uh, I should you, drink you, it more. You, you you might not you might not buy a car. I get that, <laughs> but you yeah, know that's right. a bigger purchase, right? But you know, do you really pull back from you know having the wine or the beer or whatever else? In theory, you're... alcohol and gambling are the two recession-proof industries. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a theme there, right? It's, it's it's a small amount of money to get. It's a small amount of money to get a little bit of pleasure, yeah. and when you're feeling Change down, right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so I, I can see how that works. So I, I don't know. I think long term, I think those brands and and that sort of. Um, uh, product mix uh, coming from Australia and actually from not just from Australia but they're from over the world right because they, you know yeah, they, have, totally. they have American wines that they can sell they can sell Australian wines they have the ability to mix and match things as yep. the demand shifts yep. so uh, whether or not there is any truth to the channel stuffing that is hard to tell that we will only be able to tell after the results <laughs> right? I exactly. mean, the, the thing with the channel stuffing thesis is that you could apply that to any any company that yeah, sells right. stuff to a channel yep. <laughs> right so and it's really hard to know whether you know there is truth there and you, you one could do channel checks and things like that but you know this is a even huge, then how do you how do you check this is a huge this China. is like a huge multinational right, right? right i mean how many channels are you going to actually find out yep. about right yep. so it I, I don't know yeah i i short yeah i don't i'm not really in love with shorts either um <laughs> uh, yeah actually i think you know <laughs> they're not adding any much value to yeah, but zero value zero value um yeah so i mean i, I think long term i i really like the trend I like the China trend. I like the consumption trend. I like the brands uh, that uh, Treasury has. So, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would not be terribly concerned just because there's a short thesis out there. Um, that's my view. Yeah, I agree, Matt. It's a, it's a recommendation. It's a buy recommendation of ours. Um, I, I think you're right. Look, one of the great things about being the Motley Fool, and not just because we're taking we're opting out, but because we actually think this is the best way to invest, is having a long-term thesis. So the reality is, in my view, there'll be a whole lot more Chinese people, specifically in Asians in general, um, drinking many, many more treasury wines in 10 years than there are today. Mm-hmm. And if that thesis plays out, whether there's channel stuffing in the next six months or not, or the last six months or not, is kind of irrelevant, right? It doesn't yeah. mean the share price might be volatile, uh, but we, we, don't, we don't believe that anyone can forecast share prices out six to 12 months, even in the best of times, mm. let alone with those short theses hanging around. The reality is simply if they can convince more people to drink more wines in Asia over time, this will, you know, this too shall pass, as they say. Um, and if growth is material, the export growth in volume has been phenomenal. I think that the number of, the, the percentage of growth, sorry, sorry again, the, the number, the volume of wine being consumed in Asia is growing at double-digit rates, and the price is going even faster because they're buying more premium wines. And so it's a really, really nice long-term trend that, frankly, there's no reason it shouldn't continue on. If it does, then Treasury wine shareholders will do pretty well, I reckon. That's a beautiful concoction. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Modly full money. Mate, speaking of beautiful concoctions, 
Wax. Wax Ooh. has been one of those one of those things. Mate, we got a question during the week from Matthew. Now, Matthew has a, has a, has a, he's got a humble brag. So, so stay tuned. Hashtag humble brag for those mm-hmm. who know these things. Uh, he says, uh, hey, Scott and Doc, love the podcast. Mm-hmm. He's been listening. He knows he's supposed to say he loves the podcast. We're equal opportunity um, podcast here. Mm-hmm. We'll let you ask your if you love the podcast and we'll – well, we'll ignore you if you don't. Uh, <laughs> it's for full disclosure. So, so much quotes, for equal opportunity. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's that sort of Everyone has the opportunity to say they love us is all I'm saying. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Matthew says, full disclosure, in air mm-hmm. quotes. I think he's mocking us slightly again, uh, but we do like to disclose things, so we appreciate that. He says, but in this case, <laughs> for full disclosure, my wax stocks have risen 50% in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Pretty chuffed. Hashtag humble brag. Mm-hmm. That's mine, not his. Thinking mm-hmm. about tax time, however, and capital gains. Mm-hmm. Is it a reasonable strategy to hold for at least a year and sell thereafter, given the get, given the discount. He says, taking significant profit into account as well. There are risky bunches you said in last week's solo podcast. Thanks in advance. For those who did miss last week's podcast, I did uh, raise some concerns about the value of wax and tech in general, my concerns about the very, very, very lofty PEs for mm-hmm. those that have earnings and and very, very lofty prices for those that don't have earnings. Mm. Um, so I have I have my own personal concerns about WAX as a group and, and more importantly, the tech grouping in Australia. Everything seems to have been taken for a ride with, with WAX and it gives me a little bit of heartburn thinking about those sort of prices. Mm. That being said, the question, so I'll ask you a bit about WAX, Doc, but more broadly, so look, he's up 50% in six months. He thinks they're getting expensive. But there's probably, from the look of it, at least another six months ago till he can claim the long-term capital gains tax discount. Mm. Firstly, may explain to our listeners what the difference is and why holding for 12 months matters. Mm. And then let me know whether you think he should take his money now and run or should he hang out a bit longer and get that tax benefit? Okay, I'm going to start first with a disclaimer. Oh, no no personal <laughs> advice. It <laughs> um, is not a personal advice. It's a general advice. Excellent. We can't well give personal advice without actually knowing your situation. So that, that, that makes complete sense. Um, now, in, in, in general terms, so our capital gains um, uh, tax mm-hmm. uh, rule says that if you hold something for 12 months or more, then you get a 50% discount on the profit. So what that basically means is that suppose you made $1,000 of profit okay. on on your shares that you've held for over 12 months, yep. uh, or 12 months or more, um, then on the $500 of that profit, you do actually do not need to tell ATO that you made that 500 in that sense. Right? Okay. So, so that 500 is yours. On the remaining 500, you pay your marginal tax I think you have rate. to tell them you just don't pay tax on it, just for the record, just before we, yeah. before we mislead so, anybody. So, like, yeah. so please do declare yeah. all yeah. your capital gains. But that's not part of your capital gains, right? Correct. So your Correct. capital gains there is 500, and on the, on the remaining 500, you basically are paying your full marginal tax rate, whatever that may be, yep. right? So effectively, if you're at the top rate, you know, you're paying like 25% or 20% or 22 percent or whatever it is, right? It's so pretty it's a, good, right? It's a pretty good deal. So if I own a dollar at work and I'm on the top tax rate, which would be a nice problem to have, yeah. I'm paying 40, let's just call it 45 because it makes the math easier, 45 cents of the dollar. Yeah. So for every 100 bucks, let's go to the $1,000 you yeah. talked about. If I had $1,000 at work and I'm on the top tax rate- 450 is gone. And I've got 550 left over. If I make $1,000 of capital gains and I've held those shares for less than 12 months, yeah. again, I lose the same 450. Yeah. If I keep them for at least 12 months, that 450 drops to 225 bucks. Yes. Just because I hold them for a little bit longer, which is a pretty appealing- Opportunity slash lurk slash loophole slash yeah. whatever you want to call it. Well, it's, uh, a, it's encouraging people to, you know, um, stay yeah. on longer with the stocks and so on and so forth. So, I mean, you know, encouraging long-term holding. I mean, you could, we could argue whether one year is long-term I think or we not. should extend that person. Yeah. That's, let, let's look at well, that's, that's a different, that's a, that's a philosophical <laughs> debate we can get into. Um, Over a beer later. Yeah, so, so, that's number one. So, uh, that's how it works. Now, so Matthew's saying, well, hang on, that 225 bucks I'd get to keep, in hypothetical terms, right. if I waited for 12 months. I had it for six months. I've made a lot of money on this thing. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Now I've got to try and work out, do I run the risk of waiting six months and hoping the share price doesn't fall or crash or do something else? Or do I take my money now? Yes, I've got to pay some more tax, but at least I lock in the gain. Right. So, you know, I don't invest that way. So it's very hard to actually answer that question specifically, right? right? The, the thing is that if you think that these stocks as a group are extremely superbly overvalued and that they're <laughs> going to fall by like 50%, Waiting for the tax <laughs> is a problem, right? So it really right. you need to really need to have a sense of what you think the value is relative to, and and I think what also matters is what was the intent? Did you intend to hold it 
for like five years. If you intended to hold it five years, you know, and you think it's still good value over the five-year term, then you should hold it for five years and you're probably going to make a lot more because money is going to compound over that mm. time, right? Uh, so there's a valuation component to that. There's a component of what the thesis was. Um, but if you think it's, it's massively overvalued and that the, you, you think there's an imminent risk that it's going to pull back. Now, here's the problem. Nobody can... Predict <laughs> if it's going to pull back, right. right? It can rise another hundred percent before it pulls back twenty percent, right? Yep. So, so those are the things that you have to have to consider um, before making making the decision. Again, I usually never buy a share or in any company with the expectation that its its price is going to do something in six months. Mm. So, my usual thesis would be that I'm going to buy this, and I think you know this is a good buy for like five years at least. Mm. Most of the time, I actually think, you know, if it's a good buy for a decade, then I'll just buy it and not worry too much about the price. Of course, I might sell out earlier if the thesis is not playing out. So if your thesis is playing out, if, right. you know, if they're selling to more customers, you know, more people are, you know, c- coming on board with these uh, companies, um, their markets are expanding, then that, that's that's fine. So this is a very hard decision. I, I you know, uh, personally, if I think that they're reasonably valued still, I would not sell and I mm. actually do not sell as I said on just because I've made 50% of my money mm. um, there have been there would be many instances if I did that where if I if I sold because I made 50% I would not make much more <laughs> than right, I right, could have right. made right so that's the thing to keep yeah, in mind for, if every, for every 10 bag if you sold at a 50% gain yeah. you would have lost 9.5 bags yeah, exactly. you, you, so that, really yeah. limit your capital gains growth potential so that's that's one um, yeah that's my answer to that one I know it's it's a it's a wobbly <laughs> Uh, answer to you know mm. I maybe have waffled and didn't give a direct answer but that that's well there really, is no direct answer I think you made there the, is no direct you answer. made the right point yeah. Matthew a we can't give personal advice so we, we we want you Matthew to do whatever we said either way think about how it applies to your personal situation but I'm going to add to your thoughts from a psychological perspective here just to kind of give our listeners and, and Matthew in particular just a bit of insight into themselves and they probably already know this so that's okay I get to talk so I'm get, they get to listen <laughs> uh, but I'll keep it short the, the, here's the thing about this sort of question right is there are so many mental psychological gremlins at play right now that you're really going to have a tough time, whatever you choose to do. You choose, you, you sell that now and the shares double. You say, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I should have, I should have held the shares. If you don't sell and they halve, you say, oh, I knew I should have sold. And so you kind of got this problem of, uh, you know, and then again, the 12 month time, if they fall in 11 and a half months, say, oh, I wish I'd sold earlier. Or they double, you say, oh, I'm glad I didn't sell earlier. All these things are the, the, the mental. Um, the mental and psychological side of investing, which is really, really undervalued by most investors, we spend a heap of time thinking about the financials and the the metrics and the and the kind of you know the, the stuff they teach in Econ 101 and investing 101, all that kind of stuff. And it's it's important stuff and it's worth thinking about. Um, and, and that should underpin the basis of any good um, investment kind of approach. You know, think about what you're buying, why you're buying, all that kind of stuff. But just keep those those mental kind of tips and tricks, and frankly, the things that are going to trip you up in mind as you go through this process because, look, I'll, I'll completely echo what Doc said. What you want to do as an investor is maximize your after-tax returns. You're not minimizing your tax. You're not maximizing your pre-tax returns. You're maximizing your after-tax returns. You know you're going to have to pay some capital gains tax here. Now, it, again, it, it's that question. No one can know where the share price is going to be in six months. So, frankly, it's, it's a crapshoot anyway. So, really, honestly, Matthew, no one can know from this point what's going to happen in, in six months' time. I do think the wax stocks are a little bit frothy right now and – if you feel like this has played out, so Doc's point, if you took that to a, and I'll put words in your mouth, Doc, and you can disagree with me if you want. Um, if you take that to a conclusion and say, I think these are stupendously overvalued and I wouldn't want to buy them today and I'm really scared because I think this is about the, you know, th- this is as good as we can hope the business, the shares get in any reasonable version of the future, then you know what? That, that is probably time to sell and just pay your tax. Because if you're right about that, that suggests that, well, there's only downside to come. Now, I'm not in that case, by the way. I think when you say something is fundamentally overvalued, that's different from saying people won't pay more for it over time. Mm. Um, <coughs> to pick a company of, um, what's, a, what's a good example recently? Can't think of a good one. Think about a business that, that's got, you know, it's flown super high, right? Now, just because it's expensive at, at price, what's well, take Australian house prices, just mm. for one of Doc's favorites. Um, house prices were, to some people, overvalued in 2010. And they're overvalued in 2012 and overvalued in 2016 and overvalued in 2018. And maybe, maybe they're still overvalued at 2019 after a fall. Maybe they're not. Mm. In any case, if you just said in 2010, house prices are overvalued, I'm going to sell because they're fundamentally overvalued. That would be a completely reasonable assumption to make if that was your view and you, you were convicted about that. The fact that house prices kept going up, though, doesn't say you were right or wrong. It just says that the crowd, uh, the mood, the market mm. kept pushing prices up. So this is the hard part with trying to sell on valuation grounds. You have to be prepared. Whenever you sell anything – 
that price can keep rising just because they do, right? The market's not rational. Um, you know, dot com is, is the great example, though it's getting a bit it's 20 years ago now, which mm-hmm. is bizarre. Um, go back to 1999 when everything was being sold for a squillion bucks each just because it was something dot com. I could have sold Scott.com, I'm sure, for a billion dollars back then. I probably should have. Um, you know, in any case, that that kind of that kind of you know that pricing can keep going up for a very long time for a whole lot of reasons, mostly emotional, mostly the market and the mood and the crowd and all that kind of good stuff. Um, as those prices go up, that's great, uh, and they can always go up further. So I'm not saying you know you can't know. You'll never know where the absolute top is. They don't ring a ring a bell at the top and ring a bell at the bottom, as the saying goes. So just be just be thoughtful about that. Um, if you if you if you feel like this is as good as it gets. Um, you might want to sell if you think this. If, if your thesis has played out, you may want to sell. But to Doc's point, if you if you held if you bought these because you expected that in X period of time these could be double or triple or quadruple or ten times the size, then don't don't kind of look at that fifty percent and say, oh, I better I better I better close it out just in case. Mm. If if in, if in ten years time after pays two hundred bucks a share, for example, um, whether it goes to ten dollars between now and then. On the way to 200 is largely irrelevant, right? So you might lose that whole 50%. You might gain another 400%. Don't don't sell just because of a gain. Don't sell just because of a loss. Don't hold either way because of the gain or the loss. Uh, But look look out multiple years and say, where do I think this company is at point X? If that's already in the price, then by all means sell. If there's still some growth to come, if Apple's going to be 10 times the size in 15 years, then you know what? Whether the shares double or halve in the next six months is completely irrelevant to the long-term investment thesis. Mm Mm-hmm. Agree. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We've got, we've got a couple of minutes left. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the high horse. We haven't been on the high horse for a little bit of a while. I haven't got the sound effect today, but I'm going to do a little bit, little, little small, tiny, little bit of a rant. What do you reckon? Have we got some time? Go for it. All right. So I tweeted this week. If you, if you want to follow us on Twitter, please do. Um, you can follow me at, at TMF Scott P. That's the Motley Fool. So at TMF Scott P. You can follow Anir Barn at, at Anir Barn Mahanti, A-N-I-R-B-A-N-M-A-H-A-N-T-I. Or follow us at the Motley Fool AU at the Motley Fool AU on Twitter. Even if you don't tweet a lot, it's a really cool way to kind of interact with people on Twitter. Follow follow some news, um, get get some opinion, get some information. A really really cool news source. So I tweeted this week. I said the conversation we're too scared or in brackets immature to have. Not every risk should be filed down, smoothed out, or banned. We could eliminate road deaths by making the speed limit thirty kilometers an hour, but we don't. We're implicitly accepting a trade off. In a law and order world, nuance is absent. And this is not necessarily a, a rant about investing directly, though. I think it's got some really important investing connotations. In the real world, when was the last time you saw a government say, I'm going to remove a rule on this thing, or I'm going to take out a regulation on that thing? When was the last time that anyone was incentivized to do that? If you're in government, if you're in local government, state government, if you're a, if you're in law enforcement, everyone wants more rules, right? Because every time something happens that's negative, someone says, why wasn't there a rule against that? Why wasn't there a fence at the top of that particular cliff? Why wasn't there somebody slowing traffic down there? Why weren't there speed humps? Why weren't there whatever? You can always make a case for everything that goes wrong. Someone could or should have stopped it, and that some sometimes is true. I'm not a I'm not a, 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 an anarchist. I'm not even necessarily a libertarian. I just think at some level. It's very, very easy for everybody, every time something goes wrong, to say there should be a rule about that or a law against that. And I get the intent. I don't think anyone wants to see needless death or injury or concern or, or, or negative outcomes, right? And so I'm the first one to say with the ASX, for example, there should be decent rules in place when it comes to how and why companies list, how we how they file their accounts. There are certain standards we have to live by. But broadly speaking, when was the last time we said, you know what, that regulation isn't necessary. Yes, there's some risk re- involved, but that's kind of... That's life, right? That's the nature of these things. That's just the way it goes. This is an experience that's worth having despite the risk. We could ban skydiving tomorrow. We could ban, as I said, everyone could. we could force everyone to drive at 30 kilometers an hour, and that would actually take the road toll to exactly zero. Now, that's really doable. And so at that point, in, in reverse, you know, the, the X number of people who die every year on the roads is a horrible, horrible tragedy, but we all implicitly accept that trade-off, even if we don't consciously make that decision. And when it comes to investing, this is really, really important. The tweet wasn't just about investing, by the way, as I said. But this is really important because if you try and limit all your risks, you are minimizing and, in fact, eliminating your chance of getting any upside. You can simply put cash in the bank, get a government guarantee, and get your 1.5% of term deposit. And you know what? That's that's perfectly fine. In fact, it's probably awful. But let's assume it's perfectly fine. That You know, you can do that. And that, that would eliminate all the risk in the world, and you'll get a risk-free return. Um, you're investing in living in Australian dollars, so unless the Australian government goes broke, getting a government-guaranteed bank account is the definition of no risk, right? 
Separate that then from the 10-ish percent returns you get investing in shares every year by taking the risk that your money will be lost, frankly, in any individual decision that'll be volatile across the market regardless. We actually, as investors, we're embracing risk. We're accepting risk. We're taking willingly taking on risk. At Share Advisor, the service I've run for the last seven plus years has been going for just a couple of months longer than that. We have lost uh, money in probably, I would guess, about a third of the investments that we've made. We're losing to the market in about four out of 10 of the investments that we make. Um, if we'd have avoided those four or you know, three, depending on which number you want to use, well, could we have avoided those ones? Not without also avoiding the, the investments that made us and made our members a whole heap of money, despite the three or four that are, or three out of 10 that are losing money, despite the four out of 10 that are losing to the market. We are soundly beating the market over eight years at Motley Fool Share Advice. This is not an ad, by the way. Doc's doing the same with Extreme Opportunities. Our, 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 uh, our cousins in the US are doing exactly the same thing for much longer than we have here by accepting the fact that when you invest, you will lose money some of the time. That's risk. But if you do it in a systematized way that has a decent and hopefully better than average chance of beating the market, as our services have over the last eight plus years here in Australia and 20 odd years in the US, you will deliver, in theory, and so far that's been our practice, a return that is market beating that gives you much, much more than cash in the bank. Accepting, taking on risk, living with risk is a really, really important, valuable way of investing and investing well in the market. Avoiding risk is a fine idea. But it's one of those things, right? If you wanted to avoid risk, you'd never turn on a light switch, you'd never drive a car, you'd never walk outside the house, you'd never turn on the heater, you wouldn't drink the water. Everything in life has some risk. You want to minimize the risk where appropriate. You want to, you want to take a, a reasonable combination of risk for the expected return. But that's the story, right? Understand the risk you're taking, take it willingly, where the probability of success is much higher than the probability of failure. That is the solution. That is the answer to investing well, not avoiding risk altogether. How'd it go? That's a long one. Was, wasn't it? You had a lot inside. I feel much better now. That's great. <laughs> we should just let you do this. Do you mean, do you mean it's great that I, that I had a lot to share or that it's great that I've finished? Uh, no, no, no. You just get it off your chest and, you know, <laughs> now somebody else is suffering from it. Mate, that's okay. so much cheaper than therapy, just quietly. This is so much better than therapy. <laughs> All right, fools, that does wrap us up. But before we go, don't forget you can, and we think you should, subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. I use Pocket Cast, as I think I've said before, but there's plenty of good ones out there. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a rating, leave us some stars, give us some love. It also helps people find the podcast. Let's just rate a little bit higher in the podcast feeds. Also, tell your family and friends. We're sure they could use a little bit of foolishness too. What's better in the world than a little bit of extra foolishness among family and friends? Speaking of which, you can also get a dose of foolish insights straight to your inbox. Just go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.